and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 269 and the return of guest, freelance percussionist, arranger, composer, adjudicator, and educator, and Pete's local friend and colleague, Alexandros Fragiscatos. Alex was on episode 157, and it was great to have him back, but we'll get to him in a bit. But first up, as we frequently do, Marching Mizzou. It's been a surprising couple of weeks for Mizzou's football team. After their loss at Georgia on November 6th, it was looking bad for our football team to even make it to a bowl game for the first time since 2018 when we lost the Liberty Bowl in Memphis to Oklahoma State on New Year's Eve. In 2019, we found out right before Thanksgiving that we were being banned from postseason play that year for violations that we had self-reported. And last year, during the pandemic, we did make a bowl game in Nashville that was supposed to happen right around New Year, but that was canceled for COVID reasons. However, Mizzou needed to beat some teams to get to that magic number six. They managed to beat South Carolina on November 13th while I was at PASIC, and then pulled off the most exciting final play win since I've been a part of Marching Mizzou since 2017 beating Florida in overtime 24-23. It was a game that was mostly lackluster, and when it went to overtime, Florida got the ball first on offense, scored a touchdown, and kicked the extra point. On Mizzou's possession, we ran the ball twice with our best offensive player, running back Tyler Beatty, who scored a touchdown, and then coach Eli Drinkwitz decided to go for the win with the two-point conversion, which meant the game would end on this final play. He called for what I think is one of the best offensive goal line plays you can call a tight end throwback. And our tight end was wide open, and quarterback Connor Bazelak was falling backwards but lobbed it right to him, wide open in the end zone, and the stadium went bananas. Not only did we win at the buzzer, essentially, but that play made us bowl eligible. And for nearly all of our Marching Mizzou students, this will be the first time that they'll be traveling to a bowl game. And what a great way for Marching Mizzou and the football team seniors to close out their home undergrad football careers. As of right now, we don't know where we'll end up going. And as of this taping, we still have our border war game at Arkansas coming up. But it is exciting for our students to get the chance to go bowling again. Speaking of our seniors, as this is the fifth year with Marching Mizzou for myself and our director of athletic bands, Dr. Amy Knops. This really felt like the first time that all of the students involved with the organization, with the exception of one, are actually all of our students who've only had us as directors. It was wonderful to hear them reflect on their time in the organization during the past week for their senior speeches, and we will miss them all greatly. And it was a fairly busy week for me as well. On social media, I posted photos of myself taken by our Marching Mizzou graduate teaching assistant, Allison Davis, who was a wonderful photographer, as I was getting to conduct the Star Spangled Banner at the football game, which I am always thrilled to do at least once a year. And I do get to conduct it quite a lot for volleyball. It's pretty cool to be in charge for that large group for that performance. Additionally, I've been getting to conduct the pep band for both women's volleyball as usual and women's basketball a bit, which I always enjoy. And finally, with my role as one of the resident go-to folks in the School of Music at Mizzou to talk about pop music, 
I got a call last week to be involved in an article for one of our local papers, the Columbia Tribune, about the upcoming Beatles Get Back documentary that will be showing on Disney Plus very shortly. That was also a lot of fun. Links to that article will appear in the show notes. Okay, that was way too much information about me. So let's get to Alexandros. Alex, as I've mentioned before, is a friend that I get to both hang out with here and there locally and get to play with every so often. He had been teaching at Missouri Valley College in nearby Marshall, Missouri, when we last talked on 2019 on the show, episode 157, and there's been updates to what he's been doing nowadays. So it seemed like a perfect time to have him back on the show. It also was a great time to talk to him again because he was performing a solo percussion work for multi-percussion and speaking voice on the Percussion and Voice New Music Research Day concerts, held all day Thursday at this year's PASIC. I caught his piece along with many others throughout the day and was generally very impressed with what I saw. Voice and percussion, at least as a solo player, is not an area that I've spent a lot of time even considering or attempting to do, but the range of performances were pretty captivating. I thought Alex did a great job of performing, particularly as it regarded the miking of both himself and the percussion. He had on a headset mic, which allowed him to vocally perform at all levels and easily be heard by all audience members. Additionally, there was a microphone set up right around the gong that he was utilizing, which picked up all of his fingertip sound effects he talks about in this interview and picked up the drum and woodblock portion of the work without it being overbearing volume-wise. It went very well, and I hope he was, and he should have been, quite happy with how all that went. And as I mentioned on the PASIC preview episode, he had the Thursday 9 a.m. slot, which meant he was able to play and then just enjoy his conference for the rest of the time he went. So let's get to our interview. We recorded this over Zoom on October 26th, 2021, and it begins right now. Well, Alex, let's talk about your what you're doing at PASIC. So I'm performing a piece called T-Lane for an intimate percussionist by Rania Chrysostomu, who is a Cypriot composer living in England. It involves speaking and playing percussion as the, the theme of the New Music Research Day. I still, I think it used to be called Focus Day. I sometimes accidentally right. call it Focus Day. I'm not sure if it's still technically Focus Day or not. Um, but that's the theme is uh, the speaking percussionist. Mm -hmm. And this was actually supposed to take place last year, obviously, but it went virtual. And so they kind of delayed it to this year. It calls for two two wood blocks, bongos, and a wind gong. Pretty nice, compact setup, easily transportable, perfect for going to PASIC with. It involves the text written by the composer, and she describes it as, um, and this is I'm quoting her from the score, a, a poem on bad habits we can't let go of and the comfort of the spiraling brain. So she writes this text. It's very nice. It's... Um, she writes it in Greek and then she has an English translation as well. Um, but as with most language, in my opinion, it's not always sounds better and not English. <laughs> sure. Um, 
So I do it. I do it in the Greek. the The title is actually comes from ancient Greek telane. It's an ancient Greek word for pluck to pluck. But the piece is kind of in three parts. the 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 first and the outer part involves the wind gong, and that's where this this is where the intimate percussion comes into play. It involves wind gong and prescribed hand gestures that you use to play the wind gong with your fingertips and scrapes. And whatnot, and that's when you're doing the bulk of the speaking, the 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 outer sections. The middle section is kind of more like a chaotic. This is, I think, would be the spiraling brain part of the um, whole ordeal. And so this is um, this is where you're playing the woodblocks and the bongos, and you also you also hit the wind gong a couple times in there, but it's mostly for these different, you know, these this different timbre, the the blocks and the and the bongos. And I guess that's kind of the the gist of the piece. The biggest challenge, other than like trying to figure out how you want to declaim the text and like what your vibe is going to be, um, which is always a, a struggle with, I think, text and, and percussion because you don't want to come off just like you're, I don't know, just like you're reciting a text and you're just doing it because it's part of the piece. You want it to be, I guess, a little theatrical but like not overly dramatic, but I suppose it depends on the context of the piece. Like this particular piece, it's a poem and I kind of see it as like an internal dialogue that's occurring. So that's the way I approach it. I kind of have like these two voices in my head, Mm -hmm. which I'm like speaking out loud. So it's not something that like I'm turning towards the audience and addressing the audience or making a big show of it. It's more like an internal dialogue an internal struggle. Um, but other than the text part and, and caveat, I don't claim to be an expert on speaking and playing percussion. I only started doing a few pieces a few years ago when I just wanted to challenge myself to do something different and uh, something out of my comfort zone, but I kind of enjoy it. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was selected to be a part of this, um, new music research theme with all sorts of other great percussionists. Um, so I just want to say, don't look at me as a, a, uh, like a, an expert on the matter. Don't claim to be an expert or the best or anything. I just enjoy doing it. Okay. Other than the speaking, the real, the hardest part was figuring out what kind of implement am I going to use? Cause I have to play, I have to play the wind gong, the bongos and the woodblocks. So it's not really time to change mallets or anything. And I have to get a scrape and some articulate passage, like some articulate rhythms on the wind gong, as well as articulate rhythms on the blocks and the bongos. I have to have stick, like audible stick clicks. Uh, there's also rim shots on the bongos and like two stroke grace, grace notes, like roughs on the wood blocks. So I went through so many stick options trying to like come up. What, what stick can produce all these sounds and not like, um, sacrifice too much of our our traditional beautiful options for all each of these instruments. You know what I mean? And I ended up choosing timbale sticks of all things, which I don't think I've used since like I played, I don't know, the symphonic West Side Story version yeah. with orchestra or whatever several years ago. So yeah, I'm using timbale sticks, which probably most people would be like, mm, that's kind of weird. Why are you using that? 
on woodblocks. Maybe bongos, sure, that makes sense. But it was like the best option. Mallets, any type of mallets just didn't work very well to get grace notes. You can't really scrape unless you like, I guess, turn on the back of the mallet or I guess and hit the the wind gong. But it just, they were just, the shafts were just too thin. Nibali sticks worked out to be the best. So if you listen to this and then see my performance, you know why I'm using Tabali sticks. Don't judge me. So, okay. So a couple questions. One is that you, what you also, what you hadn't alluded to, because I know that you just performed this last week for uh, Mizzou's percussion studio, is that this was not what you were originally attending to perform and you were able to get it switched out. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, that's true. When I originally submitted my proposal, what I was approved for was Frederick Jeffsky's To the Earth, which I've performed before. And I actually did it in the ancient Greek that it's written with. I think most people do it in English or or maybe there's German on there too. Um, but I never heard it done in ancient Greek. I know I was definitely not the first one to do it in ancient Greek. I think it's been done before in ancient, in the ancient Greek, but I don't speak ancient Greek or know ancient Greek like very well. I am kind of comparable in modern Greek. I'm always uh, hesitant to say I'm fluent in modern Greek just because I always have much more to learn. <laughs> um, but actually pronouncing ancient Greek is different than pronouncing modern Greek. If you know modern Greek, like modern day Greeks can't go back and read ancient Greek and just be like, oh yeah, I know all these words. You know, it, they're like constructed differently and they don't they're spelled differently and it's pronounced differently. Um, anyways, I was supposed to do that. But I came across this piece and I thought, you know, this would be cool. This is a piece that I had only been performed once when it was premiered in Cyprus. It's a young female composer. And I always thought Pasek was a great opportunity to explore, obviously, the the great pieces that we consider like part of our canon, like the Jevsky. But I always thought Pasek was a great avenue for new composers to be heard, new voices, new pieces to get us out of our traditional lit comfort zone. And this this piece fit the bill. I mean, it included Greek text. <laughs> it wasn't ancient Greek, but I guess the title is ancient Greek. It was by a female composer and a composer who I don't think has been performed in the U.S. as far as I know. I should ask her just to make sure. But it would be a great opportunity to introduce something different to the percussion community. And um, I just thought, you know, the Jeff scheme has been performed a lot and most people know it. And, you know, even though I thought I was offering something new by doing it in the ancient Greek, I thought doing a newer piece, this was only written a couple of years ago. And, you know, highlighting a new composer, a new voice in our canon would be cool. So I asked and I explained all that and they said, yeah, that's cool. Um, of course, then like a few months later or whatever, several months later, Jevsky died, unfortunately. And I thought, wow, maybe I should have kept the Jevsky as like an homage to him. Um, but, you know, it was too late by then. So rest in peace, Jevsky. Thank you for all the great lit. I'm excited to share this piece. I think it's it's cool. It's cool to, to introduce some new 
voices and, and new ideas to the percussion community and PASIC is the perfect place to do that. Yeah. Because of the fact that you are, you, the implements for playing, particularly the, the spoken part are your fingers and your fingertips. Uh, what are some of the acoustic issues that come up while trying to perform these two very different, like the middle section being extremely percussive and these outer right. sections being very difficult to hear percussion. Yeah. Very delicate. Yeah. So I think the idea is that I'll be, I'll be mic'd. The last time I performed, I really didn't require any extra miking. They just kind of did their general miking. Um, but what I asked for was like a, uh, a headset mic that would both pick up my speaking as well as the, the very delicate stuff that I'm doing on the wind gong. And I think that would solve any problems of, of not being able to be heard, especially in such a big ballroom, you know, the wood blocks and the bongos don't really need mic. There'll probably be an overhead just because you can tell me mm -hmm. like, even in that room where I was performing at Mizzou, yeah. could you, were you able to hear or were there any times that I was playing the, the wind gong that you couldn't really hear what any timbre or any sound? You could hear them all, but I think it would be benef even in a room like that, it would have benefited from, from, from being mic'd just because I think it, it, there could be a tendency, particularly in a larger room to try to overplay that stuff or, or like I would say be in danger of hurting yourself because you're trying to, to play a, something out that just can't, there's not a right. large uh, volume range you're, you're, you can really make happen unless you start, like injuring <laughs> body for right basically. yeah for sure yeah i i agree i i figured um and i i performed this too as well for at the university of cincinnati the ccm percussion studio and you know i've thought it back in my mind should i ask for mics like nah this is just you know kind of a run through i don't need to make this super complicated for a studio class but definitely for PASIC. I want this stuff mic'd appropriately. So the sound check will be super important when I get there on Thursday morning at 8 a.m. <laughs> and and relatedly, do is there expected to be that the all of these are usually filmed? And mm -hmm. are you expecting um video to be like intru intrusive in any way? You know, because when we when you talked in the class, I had you kind of I asked for you to demonstrate a little bit more of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if you, if that's one of those things where you're just like, I just, as long as it's mic'd, I don't really care what the video yeah. comes out. That's a, that's a good, a good question. I think the video come also brings to mind, like the visual aspect of the audience as well. And I thought about this a lot and I I've requested that the setup, the way I'm setting up and the, the wind gong being to my left, I thought it would be best if I was on stage left as not to close off, you know, everyone who would be on my left if I, if I was on stage right or even in the center of the stage. Sure. So the wind gong is not blocking anyone's view per se. And the thing I need to do is, and I've been actually experimenting with this even since um, my performance last week is, 
angling the wind gong even more out towards the audience. If I just go too far, then it's just hard to play that intimate um, outer the intimate outer sections very um, comfortably. Yeah, and I don't want to sacrifice that too much. Um, but yeah, there's the visual element. I you know I I'd like everyone to be able to see exactly what I'm doing on the wind gong, and really the only good way to do that is to have you know the wind gong behind me and be turned facing towards it. You know what I mean? That way everyone can see me from, from behind doing, but like, that's not a feasible thing to really do and, and play with the other stuff. Um, I don't want to have to like <laughs> swing my stick by me to hit the, right. to wing gong. So it's, it's a compromise. Um, and it's, it's, it's a good question. It's one I've, I've thought about a lot and, I don't want to compromise too much. It'll affect my playing and just kind of the natural vibe of the piece being this intimate thing. And, um, you know, I don't want to sacrifice any performance aspect to it, but I do want as many people as possible to at least see what's going on. So hopefully having requesting to be on stage left and that happening and me maybe angling my setup a little more towards the left. Um, that way I'm angled out towards the audience and not quite a profile of me, but maybe just not completely straight on. And that'll open up the wind gong visual aspect. So hopefully we'll see. Yeah. Well, one other thing that I was thinking about, I'm sure you've thought a lot about how you're not just how you're speaking, but directionally, which way, you know, are you, is this, in, are you performing it so that the, your face is seen to the audience or are you performing towards the instrument and how, what, what, what have kind of things have you figured out making that happen? Yeah, that's a, a good, a good thought because it's something that, yeah, I definitely thought about it being so for instance if i was performing the Zhevsky, which is like a prayer it's like a prayer to the the earth right the, yeah. or the 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 earth god or the gaia when i perform that i it's not i'm not even necessarily addressing the audience but i'm i'm more like looking out and up right. as like a as like a prayer when i'm playing as much as possible but for something like this which is which i interpret or which i which I interpret as like an inner struggle and inner dialogue. I'm not um, overtly trying to uh, to speak out to the audience. It's more of a a personal kind of dialogue. I guess generally I'm facing the wind gong when I'm I'm speaking. That's not to say I won't move. My gestures won't move depending on what I'm saying and the, the intent and the meaning behind the words. I think I'm mostly just thinking about having that inner dialogue. And as a result, I'm not turning overtly out towards the audience when I'm speaking. I want to balance that as much as possible with like kind of the traditional, you know, you want people to be able to see your face as much as possible when you're performing, because especially something with, with text and there's like emotional intent behind that. You want your face to the facial expressions are important as well. And I know I'm, I'm trying to make certain 
facial, well, I'm not trying to make, I'm trying to let it happen naturally with what the, the text actually means. Um, so I don't want that completely lost. So I am still thinking about how, if I do turn out a little bit, depending on what I'm saying, I don't want it to just be like, I turn out and here's my face, everyone. I want it to, to make sense with the, the text and the meaning. So yeah, that's a long answer, but it's a, it's something that does play through my head when, when I practice this piece and, um, it's just like a negotiation basically. <laughs> I had John two years ago and yeah. yeah, it was like, it was, I think it was like fall of 2019 or something like that when we, when we chatted or summer or something like that. Been a pretty interesting last two years to say the least for you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've been a different position than I was <laughs> two years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, mostly my main gig, the reason I moved to Missouri, no longer there. Um, and I'm now teaching somewhere else and it's not full time. Um, but it's all percussion, which is something that I really love obviously. And yes. it was a tough decision. I think for like my mental, <laughs> uh, health, I think I'm in a better place. Um, just being able to focus on percussion. And I think this is more fruitful for me personally and professionally as well with where I want to go. So I'm no longer teaching at Missouri Valley college where I was there. I was teaching not just percussion stuff. It was, it was actually not a lot of percussion stuff, not as much as I wanted to. It was like theory and band and jazz band and drumline and inducting and all those sorts of stuff like that. And unfortunately, and I'm okay with getting into this. Um, this, I think COVID exacerbated the issue as well. They decided amongst some other majors, they were going to sunset the music major at this college. And um, so I, I wasn't going to be asked back because they were going to, you know, get rid of the music faculty basically and sunset the major. Um, so that happened early in January this would have been January of this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is all happened. So I knew ahead of time, which was nice. What ended up happening was they had asked me to actually, can you come back and help us sunset this major? And Oh, you know, I don't know if I knew about this part. Oh, did I not tell you about this part? Yeah, no, no. this was maybe a couple of months later, a month or two later. They said, uh-huh. actually, we do want you back. And would you come back? And I, that's when I had to make a decision. I was like, you know what? I've kind of mentally prepared myself for not being here and I'm not interested in sinking, you know, like (laughs) being that, that captain of the Titanic going down with the ship, you know, and I'm not interested in doing that. I need to move on and make a positive decision for my professional life. Um, so there, it was also tough, like, should I, do I just say no to a full-time job and I don't have anything lined up or do I just bite the bullet and and continue doing this just because it's a full-time job. But in the end, I decided to just move away from there and um, open myself up to some new opportunities. So I'm teaching uh, adjunct at central Methodist university and I really enjoy it. It's a great, great university and uh, it's not full-time, but 
again, I'm doing all percussion stuff, you know, helping the drum line, teaching private applied lessons and percussion methods and stuff like that. So much more healthier for me in, in my mental health and um, professionally as well. And it's a little closer too. It's not an hour drive from Columbia. So, yeah. but that's nice. It's a half hour, right? Yeah. It's like 35, 40 minutes, depending on traffic. Yeah. But right now, 70, they got that. Uh, did you hear about that bridge? Yeah. It got hit. Yeah. <laughs> I had to, I had to take the back way and I'm not sure how long that construction is going to happen. So it might be more like 40, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Which is it? Is that the bridge right at that exit? One twenty one. Uh, no, it's like a little bit before it, um, some, some overpass. I forget the name of it. I never heard of it until it happened, but, yeah. um, yeah. So, and it, sometimes I hit like close it down to one lane and then it's super backed up. I don't know. I need to check Google maps every morning before I leave when I have to go there. Yeah. But yeah, so professionally, definitely a change. Yeah. Um, but the cool thing is that it's actually... <laughs> it's opened me up to be able to practice more and do more stuff. Like I've, uh, you know, go out and do some master classes and, um, uh, I've done a lot of judging this, this, I've done a lot of percussion, like drumline and pit and indoor judging awesome. this particular year more than any other year, which mm-hmm. I do enjoy. It's nice to see like the different talent and high school students throughout Missouri. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, it's a, it's a compromise. I suppose the decision was, but I think in the, in the long run, it, it will help me get to where that next stage in my career. I mean, that was kind of the thing. And I knew about your position at Missouri Valley because I knew the person who was there before you. Mm-hmm. And when they were explaining what they were being asked to do, it was ridiculous. It was like legitimately ridiculous. And this was someone who was a, who was a uh, PhD music ed, like who was a, who was in band and you are, are percussion focused. And so I knew that it was, it was, it was grinding on you to just that you just don't, didn't have time to kind of keep up with the, what you want to be your main career. (laughs) Right. Right. It was definitely a challenge, but the thing was I had just, so was it was 2018 when I started there. I just had graduated my DMA the year before. Right. And I had been teaching adjunct at a, at several places in the Phoenix area. And then, you know, I was applying to every single job that opened up. Sure. As long as it mentioned percussionist, I was like, I just got to get that first full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what this was. It was that first full-time gig, you know, and it wasn't, yeah. and I've heard a lot of, you know, my, uh, professors and other percussionists say, you know, yeah, I have, Oh, let me tell you about my first full-time gig, you know, that I took. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is that. And so that's why I accepted the job and, um, you know, was, was doing it for, for the three years I was there. I was, I was like, this is the, you know, this is not my main destination, but this is just that path to go forward. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after three years, still, not doing a lot of percussion stuff. I, I thought that was hampering me in, in, in job searches. I thought, I think that also played a factor in my decision to not go back there and just take the adjunct stuff and do and focus on percussion. I think that's going to be more 
helpful as I apply to more just percussion specific job opportunities. Yeah. I love music theory, but I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to teach like, I don't have to teach concert bands, you know? And the, and the thing was like, I'm a, I feel I'm a competent musician so I can rehearse music. Mm -hmm. I can rehearse music no matter the instruments. I know, I know how to be a musical person and how to, and what to ask for and how to challenge the students that way. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to teach you your fingerings on trumpets or flute or your slide positions Mm -hmm. unless I took the time to study that, but I want to do percussion stuff instead. Right. Right. (laughs) That's just kind of where I was and, and where I am now. (laughs) If you're thinking long-term, which I know you, you know, about your career, you're going, that makes more sense to just go, I, yeah. And particularly if you care about teaching, you're going, you're going to be like, well, I mean, if I have to get better at these other things to be better, to feel better as a teacher, that's going to take away from what I, what I know my passion is. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. It was a tough decision, but yeah, I'm fortunate enough that my, my, my wife Mm -hmm. has a full-time job. Yeah. Um, So, you know, and I, it's not like I said, Hey honey, I'm going to not <laughs> take this full-time job just to teach adjunct. Right. Um, she was in on the decision, obviously and supportive, which I appreciate and, yeah. and her being her also being a musician, she understands and, um, what's up with me. So <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Fortunate. Yeah. And I, and that's a, again, a, um, an important thing to kind of, note is is that that that's a that was a factor like that as it it sometimes isn't for lots of right young people that are not Mm -hmm. connected exactly yeah so i i I definitely recognize the privilege i had being able to make a decision like that turning down a a full-time job to do something else very appreciative and very fortunate and um i'm not asking for any pity or anything right right no of course not and that, I mean, another thing was also that you were already, and I think this kind of helped you out, is that you were already doing a lot of commuting. So, yes. so that, so it's like almost that you've, that your adjustment to not have to do as much or at least travel for as long as you were, I think is a, I, I, that had to have, that's an improvement. Like that actually does yeah. save money. That is like, a, it does. It's part of the financial package of what you're doing. That's true. Yeah. The hour, both or our one way was, uh, you know, that's a lot of gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now there's less, less money going to towards fuel, which is great. You alluded to some of this, that what, what kinds of things now that your, your schedule is now focused on percussion only, what kinds of things has it freed, freed you up to not only do or start doing, but also to kind of think about, planning ahead in terms of your own growth. The biggest thing is I have more free time to practice music. It took me a while to work up a recital. So I I did give a recital while I was at Missouri Valley. It just took me a little longer than I wanted to, to be able to like work up enough stuff to put on a recital. And of course now I have more time to practice a lot of stuff. And, you know, I've, 
I'm always a part of a consortium or something like um, commissioning new music. And there's a bunch of that stuff that I want to play, which I've been working up and getting close to like feeling good about to perform. I just have to find some venues. You know, it's, it's been weird. It's, I guess for everyone in the last year or two with COVID just, you know, can I, can I put a live concert? Is that all right? Can we do that? Um, we want to be safe about it, but we want our live music back, but it's, it's free me up to work on new music and, um, also do some technique stuff that I haven't done for a while. Like what? Um, well, <laughs> I've been working through a method of movement again on marimba. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, just because, um, I think that's good. <laughs> sure. It's, you know, it's, it's like we, we work through method of movement or stick control. And then, you know, it's like, all right, my technique's great now and I don't ever have to do it again, you know, and especially when you have zero time as a full-time teacher or something to practice, like, yeah, I'm going to spend an hour in technique every day. Right. I barely get an hour to practice. Right. Uh, So now I can, I've actually been able to go back and like just work on technique and just refine it and make sure it's, it's good, which is, it's just always nice to go back to. Um, Same thing with stick control, just going back and even out those hands and making sure that you're, that you're actually doing what you're you're teaching your students <laughs> sure yeah but th- that and like being able to go out and and do more um percussion related events like um uh, the judging stuff and putting on master classes and i i want to get some performances going i've been emailing uh colleges throughout missouri first um just see if i can you know, come visit, do a performance, do a master class, whatever, steel pan or percussion or both. Um, get to go to PASIC. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I feel like there's something else large that I'm missing to say. Um, are you are you writing? Oh, am I writing like writing music, arranging? Yeah. I'm not really a composer. I do have a couple pieces. Um one one piece I wrote a while ago that was published recently for flute and percussion. I actually wrote it for my wife and I. It was flute and marimba vibraphone piece. It's called Unspoken Dialogue. It's basically like a, a dialogue that occurs between the flute and the percussionist. Um, and I actually make the flute bow the vibraphone in the middle of the piece. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, you should you should have uh, you should have had Sarah play a cascadar rhythm or something like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> like set up a timbali thing in front right. of her and be like, right. "You're the you're the yeah. pro here." <laughs> and me improvise on flute. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she would definitely sound a lot better than I would be able to do on flute. Right. Yeah, on percussion. <laughs> um, so I actually I I wrote that piece a while ago, but didn't really get it published until recently with Elysian Publications. And you could probably check it out if you're interested. There's a recording on their website as well of us playing it. Other than that, the most, most of the writing I do is arranging in terms like, and mostly steel band arranging. Um, I haven't done anything super recently, but last year during uh, COVID, mm-hmm. um, I was inspired to compose a steel band piece um, which I did. It's called Breezeway. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. I, I called it breezeway because I really couldn't think of a title and the apartment we were living had a breezeway. So, I don't know. I saw the breezeway and I was like, Oh, that breezeway is nice. It's, it's supposed to like do something good, isn't it? Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Like the, the, the construction of a breezeway is like a positive thing. Right. And like, we need more positive things. Yeah, sure. And, and during this COVID time. So let's call it a breeze. Let's call it a breezeway. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice little clips. I call it nice. I'm biased. It's a Calypso, mm-hmm. um, for steel band. And, uh, I wrote that that's published on maumaumusic.com. If anyone's interested, there's a nice MIDI file too, a wave file that I made. Um, it sounds cool. I'm not sure if it's been performed. I think, I think at least one it's been purchased. I'm not sure if it's been performed yet, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited to hear it one day <laughs> be performed. <laughs> what was it like going back to, um, Cincinnati as a, as an alum? And, and being a guest artist. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I really like Cincinnati as a city. Mm-hmm. And of course it was my alma mater. I spent four years there and yeah. um, I just, I like fun over everything Cincinnati, except the Bengals. Right. I'm a, I'm a diehard Cleveland fan, but yeah. uh, anything Cincinnati, I love and CCM. I had a fantastic four years there being able to study with percussion group Cincinnati was just something that I didn't even, I didn't realize as a dumb high school kid going into college that that was a rarity having an ensemble like that, a group like that as, as your teachers and as performers every year there, it, it just, that was normal for me. Yeah. And the older I got, the more I realized, wow, that's just not, that's just not common everywhere. (laughs) That's a very rare, that's, that's a rarity. And so the older I got, the more I tried to not take for granted um, the fact that I had like these phenomenal teachers and musicians performing really cool percussion literature. And I still feel like that I have so much more to learn from them. Like I consider going back there for my DMA but I decided to get out of Ohio and go to Arizona just for like a new opportunity, new perspective. Yeah. Um, just because like, it's so much to learn from those guys. And I really, I really enjoyed my time in Cincinnati. So being able to go back there and then <laughs> sit in the same uh, rehearsal room that I rehearsed in and saw master classes and then present a master class myself was just like surreal. And just, just, I don't even know. It's <laughs> just, I don't know if you've had an experience like that going back to where you went to school and mm-hmm. just all of a sudden now you're supposed to be an authority on, on the whole, the whole topic. And then talking with students, like where you were sitting, it's just very surreal and really cool and humbling. And I was fortunate, fortunate, super fortunate to still be friends and, um, have a relationship with my former, my main teacher there, Jim Cully, who still teaches there. Of course, Al has retired. Um, Jim and Rusty Burge are still there. So fortunate to have a very good relationship with Jim. Jim, we still text and he responds to emails. I always have random questions for him sometimes. And um, that's just like something that I, I think all 
people should have, like who pay all that money to go to college, no matter the major. I, I feel like you really, you deserve a mentor like that. And um, I'm fortunate to have had Jim and still continue to have Jim as not only like a friend and I guess a colleague now, but like a resource and um, just like a cool person. So it was really, really humbling and really awesome to go back there and present a masterclass to where I once studied. Yeah. It's a pretty cool little experience to, to be in that situation. Yeah. And you're probably thinking like, they're asking me questions. I used to ask people questions. <laughs> I know they, they, they were, they're asking me questions and I'm like, wow. Like, and I tried to give good responses. I was like, <laughs> right, right. It's you're actually, looking- it's a, it was actually funny. One of the questions, very good questions is like, if you, if you could give one piece of advice to a new percussion student, what would that piece of advice be? And I thought about it. I was like, well, this is something I always tell my students. And in fact, I think this piece of advice was given to me by Jim Cully, who's sitting right over here. I think this is, I think he told me this when I was a freshman and now I'm going to say it to you. And it's just like super weird. Um, And that piece of advice, just if you're curious, was to always stay curious about things and always be very interested, intrigued and um, try new things and don't, you know, don't shy away from stuff just because it's not something you're used to. Just like always be checking out different stuff basically yeah super weird but super cool you you didn't respond with uh why are you talking to me that wasn't that wasn't your uh <laughs> which would have been good that would have been that would have been memorable <laughs> <at least. laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> no i did not i that's good i, I tried to be nice <laughs> that's good no that's good advice i actually it's funny i don't i don't love those questions in some ways i don't I love throwing that question back to people Mm -hmm. just being like, well, what would you tell a a 14 year old? Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's And then then you're just like, all right, good. That's a good answer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I didn't, yeah, those, those questions are like really hard and weird sometimes, but um, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Like that, like I knew immediately what I was going to say just because I remember when I was a freshman and then, being in the practice room and being told this thing, which always has stuck with me and always this has been something that I like took to, to heart and then tried to impart on any student I've ever had since then. Um, so that question was, was easy for me, but um, I'm sure there's like other questions in the same vein where you're just like, Oh crap. I don't have anything inspirational off the top of my head or <laughs> anything meaningful yeah. to say. But, you know, it's almost like like in a position like that when you're like the featured person or whatever and you're, and you're being looked up to or asked questions, you know, almost anything you say can be seen as like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. You know what I mean? Just because of the situation. Yeah. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth. Right. I guess don't be, don't be too shy about saying something that's not like, oh, this is not super thought-provoking or deep. Yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't need to be. I suppose sometimes the simple things are okay, and because we forget those, throwing the question back—that's a good way to get out of it, though. Yeah, I feel like you could just do that with any question too. I mean, it's you can. Yeah. How old are you? Well, how old are you? 
why do you play with Steven's grip? You know, like whatever it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I guess something I didn't mention is that like I've, I've done some su- substitute teaching. Did I tell you that? No. So I did. I, well, the only reason I did it was because, uh, you, you know, um, um, uh, Thal Huber at mm-hmm. battle. Yeah. He, he went to Greece for a week. Yes. And I think Megan must have, he might maybe asked Megan and Megan had then like forwarded my information to him. Yeah. Um, but he went to Greece for a week and he was a, he's a percussion specialist there. Yeah. So he was looking for like a longer term sub and preferably someone, someone who just happens to be a, a, a qualified percussionist mm-hmm. who's a substitute which I wasn't. I, the only reason I got my sub certificate was for this thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent a week with battle at battle high school and also Lang and, um, Oakland middle school teaching mm-hmm. percussion, the middle school percussionist. Yeah. Um, so now I, I am a, uh, qual- or a registered sub, which yeah. I get messages all the time. We need subs. We need subs. Yeah. And I haven't done any more other than that. And I'm not sure I would do anything other than, music subbing yeah. i don't know maybe like spanish that would be cool going to do a spanish class or something so oh, that's but yeah so funny this is what's hilarious is that I, I i had forgotten that i should have remembered that they went because his wife is the color guard instructor for marching mizzou christina oh okay but so the funny thing is that when they're in 2017 when i was still at lincoln um, mm-hmm. my hours were like significantly really reduced because of this, because of, you know, they did kind of the same thing with our department. Um, right. For three weeks, he was on paternity leave and I ended up being his sub. Um, oh my God. Fit it in because I, I could push everything I did to the afternoon. So yeah. I subbed for three weeks just about for him in his, uh, in all the classes. And it, it was great. I like it was the same thing. I got like my sub certificate. If same thing, like I got messages from them all the time and then I, I have no interest in doing it again, but you know, I, it was right. something I did for that, just for him, for that thing. So, yeah. Wow. He's, he's so lucky then. Like, because the sub thing is just like any person can just, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put my name on this and come in and be a babysitter. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. Like he's, he was so lucky to have like qualified percussionists to like come teach and not just lose all right. that education with his kids yeah which i imagine like most that's just not very common especially something niche is like a, a percussionist you know being a, a sub being on the sub list in your district yeah so dang he's well lucky but kind of the same thing like he he got in touch early so that i could get so i could get certified right to do it right. so that I could come in and do it. So it, it was. Uh, yeah. Cause the, the process took a while. Like you had to yeah. jump through all these, you had to go like this training session for like three yeah. hours and get all these prints and background checks. Right. And yeah. It's like, dang, this is involved. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I might do some, I should do some subbing again just for some extra money, but like, sure. I was kind of spoiled with that one because being, I was basically a percussion specialist and I'm like, that was the most palatable, pal- palatable, Mm-hmm. Um, version of being a sub in you yeah. know K through twelve is just being able to teach mostly percussion. I right. Think there was there was like one high school band 
class that I had a conductor or whatever, but that was yeah. a big deal. But yeah, so like I'm I'm like weary of doing other subbing. I just think yeah. I don't think I would have as great of experience working with non-musicians and non-percussionists. Yeah. Um, but well, and those folks are great at um Kim and and Mark and um mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that? I don't remember Chris Ferris. Uh Chris Ferris, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're all really good people and good educators and they do really well with mm-hmm. in that program. So the driving thing yeah, is weird there. I mean, you know this too, like, cause you got to like, you go to, you go to like the high school first and then you got to like drive mm-hmm. to, and then you go to the middle, one middle school, then the next one and then right. back. And then like, yeah. And it's like a B days. Right. Yeah. Do they have those? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like schedules different depending on if it's an A or B day. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was kind of hectic. It was, it was, it was a lot more hectic than I thought trying to, get all that straight and like where to go when to go right. and and whatnot and i found myself asking him like what do i do if a kid like has an emergency how do i where's the what how do i dial the office i was like thinking about all these horrible yeah. things that might happen in under my charge or whatever yeah yeah <laughs> that i've never like thought about really mm-hmm. <laughs> in college it's like they're all adults they take care of themselves but but yeah, it was a good experience. I enjoyed it. Like I working with the high school students, like, man, they have some great gear. I don't know. They have like a lot of gear and like some nice gear too. Like, yeah. like when I was in high school, we didn't have this kind of stuff. And my percussion, there were way more percussionists in my high school. Mm-hmm. And like, dang, you, I, the first thing I told him was like, you're so lucky. You have all this fantastic gear here. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Man, like there's colleges that don't have this much gear. No, I know. And I can I didn't my college. I can only right. I can only imagine that like the the other high schools like I've never been to well, I know I've been to uh uh not Hickman. What's the other what's the third one? Hickman, Rockbridge. Rockbridge. I know they have a bunch of nice gear too. Yeah. Probably even more. I, so it's like it's pretty there. comparable between those two. I don't think I don't know that Hickman Hickman's facilities are just older. It's the oldest of the high schools. So yeah. All right. Well, I have. I was thinking. I have. Um, I was looking through my list of random asked questions, and I and I found some ones that I, I don't know that I asked you the first time. So I'm just okay. going to throw these out to you uh, as as our final as our closing segment. For yeah. This catch up. All right. So here's one. What is your karaoke go to song? trying to think the last time i karaoke sure actually i think the last time i karaoke i don't know if i should say this the last time i karaoke was at the pasic at the last pasic oh <laughs> me yeah and my buddy, me and my buddy went to i don't even know what the place was called but they had a karaoke <laughs> okay i'm trying to think a go-to karaoke something in my range that i can sing um, oh, I didn't say that. I, I just said, <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just thinking that's, that's, that's what I would pick something in my range that I can sing. So mm-hmm. I don't sound like a complete idiot. Probably anything by the Beatles. Cause I, I think I have like a similar range to Paul McCartney. Mm. Um, I feel like I mean, he can go higher than me and sound much better, but like, yeah, I can almost sing. I can almost sing mostly in, in the same ranges. So like, Oh, Paul. darling, you could, you could do. Uh, all the screams maybe not maybe not all that stuff i don't uh, know <laughs> maybe like you know like just think of like yesterday or, oh sure 
I wouldn't probably do that as karaoke. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe like newfound glory. You ever heard newfound glory? I, I don't like have this, it in my head. This pop punk band that was like really popular when I was in high school. It's mm-hmm. like a, a song called my friends over you. I think I could probably whip that one out. Nice. As an homage to my adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yes. So I guess anything by the Beatles would be, would be good. Gotcha. I'm a huge Beatles nerd too. So yeah. Have you ever bought anything f- over an infomercial? No, that the true answer is no. I hate commercials so much. <laughs> like I, in my wife, I always complain to my wife, like I'm less likely to buy something when it's advertised to me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just, just because, just because I don't know, it's always interrupting something I'm doing. You know, like, like mostly watching a TV show or an ad or like a YouTube video or something. Like, I just get turned off by advertisement. I'm so unaffected by advertisement that because we're just so inundated by advertisement that yeah, yeah. When I see something advertised to me, I, I like have the opposite reaction. I have like disdain for whatever it is. So. Uh, I'm sure some subliminal way I have been affected. I'm not like a superhuman or anything. Sure. Um, But nothing, nothing like, oh yeah, I got to have that. No, unfortunately I'm like a curmudgeon when I see a advertisement. (laughs) Like, nope, I don't, I'm less likely to buy that product now. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Is there a piece of music that you've played, you've performed that immediately after you were done, you're like, never again. <laughs> never again. Ooh. Yeah. And the more famous the piece, the better. The more famous the piece. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. Um, like a solo piece or does not matter? Doesn't matter. Definitely not, nothing famous. <laughs> <laughs> No, man, I'm sorry. I can't think of okay. anything good or right. anything at all that I would just be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Give me another question instead. <laughs> all, right, all right, fair enough. What's a either a movie or a TV show that you could just quote a lot or, of, or or if you hear someone say it, you're you're in your head. You've, you're 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 like, oh, like you you're like, oh, we're good. Good question. Here's the thing about me and TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. And my wife will attest to this. I rarely, rarely will watch the same movie twice Mm. or the same TV show twice. Yeah. It's like something that, I don't know, it's something part of me. It's like, I've already seen this. And if I'm going to not quote, like quote unquote, waste time or like spend my time, I might as well like consume something new. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I, I rarely watch the same tv show or movie twice so i don't have a lot of things like memorized gotcha other than like i don't know i would say maybe pulp fiction sure (laughs) someone quoted something from pulp fiction yeah then i know that we're like all right yeah you're kind of (laughs) weird weird and goofy like me and yeah (laughs) we'd probably be good friends yeah yeah. i mean say what one more time what's that say what one more time (laughs) Say what one more time. That's from Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, this is the problem. It's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah. It's, um, 
it was when he okay so samuel jackson's in like this apartment like yeah with uh john travolta these two these and the other two dudes. yeah they're like interrogating interrogating these guys and like yeah. they're scared and the one guy like has his burger and drinks and like triple uh jackson like takes and starts eating and whatnot and the guy's just like quivering he's like what what, what? And then he's just like, say what one more time. And then, of course, <laughs> there's some obscenities in there. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe Pulp Fiction, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen Pulp Fiction more than once. That's one of the, the rare yeah. movies. <laughs> I don't know, maybe The Office, too. I've mm. seen Office. I wouldn't say I've seen every episode, like, several times, but I've seen that some episodes more than once. And that's yeah, a yeah. funny show. Yeah. Um, the Office or... Yes, that's it. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Again, I, I'm a weirdo. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't just binge the same. My wife's the opposite. She'll watch Gilmore Girls for the 900th time, the whole thing. <laughs> Even the, and she can she can like quote just verbatim. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, yeah. For me, I'm just like uh, I've seen this already. I don't care. I know it was good, but yeah, I just rather have a new experience doing something else <laughs> if i'm gonna if i'm gonna spend an hour watching a movie or a tv show mm-hmm. might as well just like watch a new tv show <laughs> yeah when you've traveled back to greece which i know you do with some regularity because your, your family's there what's the one i'm sure there's more than one but what's like one food thing that you're like you get there and you're like okay like let's Let's get this like in my in my body immediately. Wow. What a good question. And this is a question I have an immediate answer for you without thinking about anything. It's called bugacha. Okay. It's a pastry, it's a dessert called bugacha. So I I I have like fantasies of this. Because <laughs> it's so good there. We've tried to make it here mm-hmm. and we're getting close. Yeah. My wife's really obsessed with it now. Mm-hmm. Um so she like is always looking up different ways to make it to get it as close as possible. Yeah. But like, so you get to, you fly in Athens mm-hmm. and then you take a, take a little baby flight to the Island. Kefalonia mm-hmm. where my dad's from. You land in Argostoli, which is the capital. You drive to uh, the port and you take the ferry across like, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to the other side of the island mm-hmm. to Luxury. Yeah. And this is like the biggest city on this side of the island near where my dad's villages. Yeah. yeah. And my grandparents live and get off. You get off the port, the, the dock of the, the ferry right there. And right to the left is the, the square, the platea, we call it. It's mm-hmm. a lot of these places, cities and villages that have the square where like there's restaurants, people gather for, meals and hanging out and mm-hmm. and then in the back of that square there's this little pastry shop and as soon as they get off there walk back walk back to the square and get a bugacha and they're so good it's so good it's just like it's like it's made of phyllo mm-hmm. and there's like powdered sugar on top and there's like this custardy kind of middle part and it's warm and it's fresh, especially if you get there in the morning. Yeah. Um, so, bugacha. It's a real thing. I'm not just making that word up. It sounds fake. Bugacha. <laughs> bugacha. Yeah. 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 If, 
if you search it, you'll, you'll see it's a real thing. So yeah, that's it. That's, I mean, that's the first thing I, I don't care how jet lagged I am, how tired I am after the trip. Yeah. yeah. Once, once I get there, the first thing we do before even go see our grandparents, my grandparents in the village, <laughs> be, beeline to the, to the pastry shop that I've left a five-star Google review on it for everyone to see. Nice. And, um, one of the rare things I, I do when I never leave, rarely do I leave uh, Google reviews, um, but I definitely left a five-star Google review for that. Bugatcha. That's what it's at. It's delicious. Awesome. I think good. That's good. That would be a good way to end. Bugatcha. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, finally, something, a question I can like just have an immediate direct answer for you and <laughs> <laughs> not just like have to think about yeah. So, great wow. question. Great question. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I may include that as regular, some of the regular questioning. So, such a total pleasure getting to chat with Alexandros for this podcast and to chat with him on a regular basis when we see each other in town. I look forward to working, talking, and seeing where his career moves forward after this point. Congrats again, Alexandros, on your PASIC performance. This week's rave is the 2021 film The French Dispatch, directed by Wes Anderson and starring, well, a whole lot of famous actors. Partial List, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Fran McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Benicio Del Toro, Timothy Chalamet, and many, many, many more. Wes Anderson is a director who has been making feature films for the past 25 plus years or so, and is someone who has a particular vision to create a very specific curated world. If you've seen any of his previous films, you're definitely aware of what this means, whether that's Rushmore, the Royal Tenenbaums, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, Moonrise Kingdom, The Life Aquatic, etc. If you've seen these, you have a real sense of the planning that is part of Wes Anderson's movie-making process. So in that sense, if you're not familiar with his work or don't enjoy it, then likely this isn't the movie for you. Or at least not the film of his to start with, since he takes all of those previous ideas and puts them all out of 10, basically. He, as much as any other filmmaker, is in either you get his movies or you don't. There really isn't much middle ground. However, if you do like these films, and I tend to like them, then this is definitely up your alley. The film is an ode to the weekly magazine The New Yorker, with similar sections, specific writers, odd stories, all in a long-form feel, famous cover art, etc. And it has the authors, Wright, Swinton, Wilson, and McDormand, tell their stories while being acted by many of the other folks I mentioned. It's pretty much it. But you're jumping straight into Anderson's absurdist world. Extremely specific and well-thought-out curation of sets, characters who are mostly acting in very witty, quick dialogue with minimal emotion until they are forced to go to extreme emotions which they then do immediately. Slow-paced and fast-paced ideas match together, and his usual cohort of actors 
essentially saying yes to whatever role he wants them to play and going full force for it. It's all there. Not much else to say other than it hits all of the usual beats of a Wes Anderson film. And if you're up for that, you will love The French Dispatch, now playing in cinemas everywhere. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode of the show and the show notes for every episode at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for another one of my full interviews with the people that I talked to for PASIC 2021. Until then.